want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Just made to make sure I get their phone number tonight. So glad you're here tonight. I, uh, the young lady who was singing on this end over here, I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but she is severely pregnant. And I love her dearly. And I told her, I said, dude, if they start jumping, you don't jump tonight. You just stay grounded. I, lo- I love the miracle of childbirth. I'm telling you, there's a God. And if you can't see it in childbirth, you've been blinded between the ears and the heart. And I just, I love it. I love it so much. All righty. This is when it gets crazy tonight in the book of Revelation. Don't, we're going to start in Matthew but this is when we look at the tribulation period, the final days on earth. The, it's the beginning of the end. Uh, let me make an announcement from Scripture. A lot of people don't believe this. This earth has a shelf life. This earth will come to an end. The days are numbered. And uh, you, see, you sound like one of them wild-eyed fanatical preachers. Well, I am, but besides that, it's still true. But I want you to look at what Jesus said about the end. We're just going to look at two verses Matthew 24, if you're familiar, it's where Jesus is speaking about the final days on the planet. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, the Bible says this, Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your second coming and of the end of the age? Why would they ask about something called the end of the age? And they said to him, Are there signs we can look for? So Jesus gives them the very signs. I mean, he lays them out in detail through Matthew 24. And then after the final sign he gives, I want you to see what Jesus said about this. Verse 14, the last sign he said is this gospel of the kingdom, how to have eternal salvation, will be preached in all the world as a witness to who? Every place on this earth will hear the gospel. All nations. Watch these words. And then the end will come. What did Jesus say? There's an end coming to this age and to this planet. And uh, we're on a timed session right now. It has a shelf life and it's going to end. Now, how it's going to end is laid out in the Bible in the book of Revelation. Let's go there, chapters 6 to 20. Remember, every believer needs sort of a working knowledge of the book of Revelation. Let me tell you what we've seen so far. It's 22 chapters. You can chop it up like this. Chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ and His beauty. Chapters 2 and 3 are a panorama of world history from the time it was written till the second coming of Jesus. Chapters 4 and 5 are an interlude where we get to look into heaven and see the beauty of what's going into heaven. Now, chapters 6 all the way through 20 are the period called the tribulation period. And it is is hell on earth. And it's when all the judgment finally falls down on the earth. It is uh, comparative, as Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The Bible said God was very patient, but there came a day when Noah and his family went in the ark, and then the Bible said Noah did not close the door on the ark. God closed the door on the ark. And that, that was not just that the door was closed, it was symbolic that mercy is over, and the opportunity to be saved is over. And then, of course, the flood came, and the Bible said it, so shall it be. Revelation chapter between uh, chapters 3 and 6 is where the door is closed. And there's no more hope for salvation in the earth. Nothing but judgment can be anticipated. And chapters 6 through 20, which are 70% of the book of Revelation, 
uh, or the tribulation period. Now, it's known as a seven-year period. Sometimes there's debate, is it a literal seven years or is that calling it a seven-year period, is that a picture of a perfect, a perfect time span? I lean toward a seven-year period based on some things written in Daniel, but it doesn't matter to me really how long it is because I'm not going to be there. Either way, I hope it's as short as it can be because it is an ugly time on the earth and we're not, we're not going to take a lot of time in this, but I want you to just do a, we're going to do a thumbnail through the tribulation period and here's what we're going to see. I want us to see the four major spirits that will be released in the earth during that time. I think we're seeing a precursor of them right now. Four major spirits will rule the earth during that time. Four major players will be on the world stage during that time. There will be four major players on the world stage during that time. And uh, there will be 21 total judgments poured out in the earth. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. And it's just judgment after judgment after judgment. They're oftentimes compared to the 10 judgments that were poured out on Egypt. Do you remember when the children of Israel, when Moses said, let my people go, they wouldn't do it. And it took 10 judgments from God, the final one being death, to let his people go. And uh, there are going to be 21 judgments poured out in the earth over this seven-year period called tribulation. But I want to introduce you tonight to the seven spirits that are in there. And uh, when we look at this in Revelation 6, this is not just uh, in Revelation 6. The, they're called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I don't know if you've ever heard that before or not. Billy Graham wrote one of the greatest books ever called The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And these four horsemen are not literal horses. They're powerful evil spirits that will be released in the earth as soon as the Holy Spirit. Now remember, Revelation chapter 6, two things have gone out of the earth. The church of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. Second Thessalonians says, He who now restrains the Holy Spirit of God is the one in the earth holding back evil will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the man of sin will be revealed, that son of perdition who exalts himself above God. So when the Holy Spirit's taken out, this man will be revealed. Of course, the church is coming out. Holy Spirit's coming out. Listen, as crazy as our world is right now, imagine if the Holy Spirit of God were not in the earth right now, restraining and bringing his powerful influence. Will you just take God out of everything on this nation? And that's what the tribulation, or it's what the hellish period is going to be. But there are four major players, and these are four spirits that go out into the earth. And uh, when we see this in the start of Revelation 6, these are spirits that roam and rule throughout the whole period. I want you to look at them. Number one, Revelation 6, 1. I saw the lamb. I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. Now remember, we looked in chapter 5. There was a lamb. He had authority to take the scroll that had seven seals, and nobody could open it from him. These are not like ribbons around a, a band. In that day, you, you wrote, you put uh, glue or whatever, you rolled that up, you wrote some more, you rolled that up. So it's an ongoing unrolling of the judgment. And only Jesus can release this judgment in the earth. That's what it means he released the seal or opened the seal. So Jesus releases this judgment in the earth. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and look, come and see. I looked and behold, a white horse came forth. He who sat on it had a bow. A crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. That's the Antichrist. Uh, as I quoted 2 Thessalonians, that as soon as the Holy Spirit's taken out, uh, the Bible calls him the man of sin. It calls him the son of perdition. It calls him the Antichrist. Now, Antichrist can mean anti-against Christ or anti 
instead of Christ, fake Christ. So this is one who comes forth. And the Bible talks about this day when uh, this man will come forth and he's going to bring our world, our globe into a global government. There's going to be a one world government and it's going to be under him. You'll see later how that he has power to call all the nations. You notice the Bible said that he's given a bow, but there's no arrow in it. He'll conquer the whole world, not fire a single shot. And he's given a crown. He will rule. And the Bible says that this man will rule the entire globe. And it's not going to be by force. People are going to want this man to rule him. This will be the most charismatic, gifted, attractive man that ever walked on the earth with the exception of Jesus. What is going to set him up for this is global crisis. Can you see this year how with the pandemic, the financial mess we're in, could you see how that nations, the United Nations are beginning to clamor, we have got to come together and solve our global problems? That's going to be the cry that this man comes up under. And in crisis, he's going to rise up. He'll, he's going to be a European. He'll rise up out of the European nations. Uh, people are wondering, will he come through the United Nations or not? He's going to come through United Nations, whether it's the global United Nations organization or not. But this world's headed toward a one world government. And you can already hear the inklings of this uh, today. One, now, I'm not being political, but I'm just going to say this. One of the reasons our current president is so disliked by some folks is he is so anti-one world government. Uh, they call him American uh, extremist, whatever, whatever you want to, but it's just, he has sort of put the foot on the brakes of we are all one, one body, one globe, and that's that spirit of Antichrist to bring the whole world, and he'll rule over it. And he's going to rule over the whole world, and they're going to adore him. As you'll see in a minute, they're going to adore him and worship him. Uh, let's take a minute. I want you to look and see... Um, Look with me where he comes from. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 verse 1 says this. Now remember this is a revelation. I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, which are indicative of where he's from, ten crowns on his head, a blasphemous name. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear, his mouth like a lion. The, and watch this. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. Where does this man get his power from? Who, who's the dragon? Well, Revelation chapter 12 will tell you who the dragon was. If you want to read that sometime, of course, that's Satan. <clears throat> one of the strangest verses, I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So some people have said he's going to be an assassination attempt to be made on him. He'll be shot in the head. He'll stand up and be healed. And this will call the world, cause the world to marvel. I don't know about that. But something's going to happen. But I hope you, I hope you caught this. In uh, verse 3, he'd been mortally wounded. His deadly wound was healed. Watch these words. All the world. How much does that take in? All the world marveled and followed the beast. So the whole world's going to be amazed by this man. And they're going to follow this man. Verse 4, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Look at him in verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. He is going to, you're going to see a hellish hatred toward the people of God. I mean a demonic hatred toward anything that's truly Jesus. And he's going to make war with the saints. And uh, to overcome them, watch this. Authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him. So this is a picture of one man. Now, he, listen, you saw, I thought, he, I thought it was a spirit, all right? He is one of the four spirits, one of the white horse that goes out, but he's also a physical man. 
and is the embodiment of Satan in this man, but it is a deceptive man. And uh, he's going to look so good when he comes forth like that. So this speaks of him. Uh, a little bit more on that later. Turn back with me to Revelation 6. So the first thing that happens is this man steps on the world stage and he's going to look like a great healer, savior, redeemer, but he is a deceiver. And the whole world's going to worship him, but his heart is the heart of Satan to destroy. All right, the second, uh, the second horse. The Bible says this in uh, verse 3. He opened and a second seal. I heard a second living creature say, come and see, verse 4. Another horse, red, fiery red, went out. I right, watched this spirit. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace out of the earth. People should kill one another, hate one another. And there was given to him a great sword, a great weaponry. Can you not see that coming in the earth right now? This, this spirit has the ability to take peace out of the earth, to take, cause people to quit getting along and cause people to hate each other and to do what? Want to war with each other and kill each other. Well, you're seeing that spirit poured out. In, now, we're, we're not in the tribulation period now. But relax, you didn't miss the bus because I'm still here and the Holy Spirit's still here. But I don't believe, listen, now this, you, there is, we don't have to agree on every point to see truth here. And the Reb, book of Revelation can be a little fuzzy because it's the wildest book in the Bible. But I don't believe it's going to be on a set day, all this just boom. I believe you're going to see the foreshadowings of it. I believe we are seeing the foreshadowings of these great spirits coming to the earth now. And these four spirits are a description of what's going on on the earth right now. But this is one of the most, this is one of the vilest, most hellish spirits that it could cause people to just hate each other. Of course, you saw where Jesus said in Matthew 24, the greatest hatred in the earth will be between what? The races. When Jesus said nation will rise against nation, well, it's the word ethnos. It doesn't mean Germany, Italy, America. It's ethnicities will turn against one another and hate one another. Well, do you know of any nations having any racial trouble right now? We keep praying for things to get better. But listen, th this is not about flesh and blood. This great spirit is in the earth causing people to hate each other and taking peace out of the earth. And the tragic part of that verse is he was given a great weapon or weaponry. You know, if you're mad, that's one thing. But if you're mad with a 45, that's another thing. And I think his weaponry would be a lot bigger than a 45. So he's been given great weaponry. And this evil spirit will come into the earth and cause people to just war one another. All right, number three is the black horse. And this is another spirit that goes out. <clears throat> verse um, five, he talks about it, opens it. Uh, let's read verse five. When he opened the third seal, the third judgment, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. I looked and saw a black horse. He who sat on it had what? He's got a pair of scales in his hand. All right. This is the spirit of scarcity in the earth. Um, verse six. And I heard a voice in the midst of the living creature saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and wine. So the judgment is what? All right. A, a denarius is a day's wage. hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. And a quart of wheat will make what? One loaf of bread. You're going to work all day just for a loaf of bread. In other words, the, this scarcity is going to come in the earth and people will have to work very hard just to get enough food to get by. That's scarcity. What does it mean do not touch the oil and wine? The rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poor. Oil and wine is the food of rich people. And what do you tell them to do in there? Don't touch the wealth. Don't come near the wealthy nations, the wealthy people. Are we not seeing that today? 
globally are not the rich nations getting richer and the suffering nations in uh, different parts of the world. And so th this has the ability to do what? S bring scarcity in there. Listen, dear ones, one of the, 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 our subsistence rests on us having food to eat and supplies and things like that. This spirit has the ability to keep things away from people that they need. And you'll have to work all day to get a loaf of bread just to feed your family in certain places. But the rich will be protected. That's what it means don't harm the oil and wine. So scarcity, of course, the fourth horse is the pale horse. The, now remember, it's a spirit. These are spirits. Obviously, they're not real ponies. These are spirits. Uh, verse 7, he opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. A pale horse, the name of him who sat on it was death, and hell followed. Power was given them over how much? 25% of the population, a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, hunger, and death. The better word would be pestilence. So 25% of the world's population is going to be wiped out by uh, violence, weaponry, starvation, and pestilence. We'd call it disease today. All right, those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're going to be released into the earth during this period and they're the major spirit players through the, whole, through the whole period, through this whole time. And obviously, could you imagine if these... Uh, I've heard people talk about how hard times are now. We're in great days right now compared to what's going to come on the earth in this day. And this is a picture of foreshadowing of the tribulation too. Now, let me tell you what happens. In, and it begins in chapter 6 all the way through chapter 18 and 19. 21 judgments, just one right after the other. There are seven sealed judgments. Trump, trumpets blast. There's another judgment. Seven bowls of wrath are poured out. Judgment after judgment after judgment in the earth. And uh, we're not going to read through these things. Uh, it's just horrible. It's, you say, how could it get any worse? And then the next one, it gets worse. The earth is going to be scorched by fire, uh, disease, hate. I mean, it's just, it's hell on earth. It's awful. And, it's, and just about the time you think you couldn't get any worse, another seal's open, another trumpet blast. And this is not a good time to be on the earth because of these spirits working in the earth. Now, I want to look for just a minute at the major players in the tribulation period. There are four or five major players throughout the book of Revelation. Of course, the first one is the Antichrist. Now, he is not only the spirit on the white horse, he is a literal man. And he'll be the, he'll be the figure uh, because here's the deal. He'll, he'll come up. He'll be the superstar. Everybody will worship him. You saw that. They'll adore him. He will be the savior of the planet and help us with our problems for the first half. And then the Bible says after 42 months, he's going to change and he's going to show who he is and he's going to go into the temple of God in Jerusalem. People wonder, will the temple be re rebuilt on the temple mount? It has to be. It has to be. For him to go in the temple mount and he will declare that he is God. That's 2 Thessalonians 2. And he will reveal who he is and he will command the world to worship him. And he's going to show who he really is. And then's when hell really cuts loose in the earth. As, isn't that just the nature of Satan? To come as an angel of light, promising you good. And then when he gets you locked in, what does he do? Takes off the mask. Suffering. That's his nature. And that is the very heart of the Antichrist. He's the major uh, player. Now, secondly, is the false prophet. And this is a dude. I want you to look at me in Revelation 13 at the false prophet. Uh, Revelation 13, we read in chapter 13, we read about a beast coming out of the sea that's given his power by the dragon and the whole world worships him. That's the Antichrist. All right, you also see in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, I saw another beast 
coming up out of the earth. Now, this is another powerful, but this is another man. Look at the description of this man in verse 11. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Doesn't that sound strange? Who in the Bible is the lamb? He will look like the son of God, but he'll have the heart of Satan. He will appear to be the son of God because he's a preacher. He's a prophet, but he will have the power. He will speak as Satan and it'll be Satan in a preacher. And this will be the, uh, it's called the false prophet in the Bible where it comes forth. Let's read a little bit. Verse 12. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Can you hear me now? You didn't hear a thing I said. Go back to Revelation 6. Start all over. Is that better? All right. Not only will there be a one world government, all the churches of the world are going to align in a a one world church. There's going to be a universal church. He's going to be the head of it. He's going to be the head preacher, head prophet, whatever you want to see. I see this all over right now. I hear all over, and especially liberal theologians, we're all many streams, one place. We all serve one God, wherever we come from. No, we do not all serve one God. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And there's some things we can agree to disagree on, but we cannot disagree on Jesus being the sole son of God and the only hope of salvation. But this uh, global church will be led by this man and he will be in league with the Antichrist and he will give his allegiance to the Antichrist. And uh, he'll, be, he'll have great power, be the power of Satan, and you got to remember this. If there's one verse that defines these two guys, it's what the Bible said in the scriptures that Satan deceives the whole world. He said, Brother Brown, how, how could so many smart, and there are a lot of smart people in the earth, how could so many smart people be deceived and follow this guy and fall for this one world religion stuff? Well, the answer again is in 2 Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit will be taken out. The, sin, the man of sin will be revealed. The world will follow him. Because God will send on them strong delusion and they will believe the lie and they'll follow him. Here's the bottom line. You will worship and adore the son of man or you'll be deceived by the man of sin. There's only two options in the Bible. You'll either follow Jesus or you'll follow this guy. And there'll be this global church and uh, he'll be the head of it. Um, Let's look a little bit more what the Bible says about this guy. Well, let's, let's, I want to go, I don't want to take that much time. Number three, have you ever heard of the Mark of the Beast? Mark of the Beast. It was, it was Henry Kissinger, wasn't it? I've been hearing this all my, since I've been saved for 40 years, I've been hearing people try to figure out who is the Antichrist by the Mark of the Beast. I want to make an announcement. It is not Henry Kissinger. Henry is too old to be the Antichrist now. He didn't even come from the right nation. But the Bible talks about something called the Mark of the Beast, and that also is in Revelation 13. Um, verse 16. Now this is talking about the false prophet here. Watch what he does. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the number of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him move his understanding, calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is. And you've heard this, 666. Six, six. Back when I drove, <laughs> this is for free. 
when I used to drive a truck, I, had a, I owned a truck, I had a number, it was 777. It broke down several times when my mechanic said, let's change these numbers to 666. Said, this looks more like the beast than it does God's truck. I said, just leave it where it's at. But the Bible talks about uh, the mark of the beast. Now, I'll probably get shot for saying this, but to remember, there's, there's some leeway in here. We don't have to agree on everything. If you disagree with me, one day you'll be right and I'll learn as we go, okay? But everybody's going to have to receive the mark of the beast to buy or sell. Now, you, you can't function in a, and by the way, we're going to have a global economy. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to function to feed your family. They have to eat. You have to receive this mark of the beast to be able to do it. Now, many people think it's a literal mark and they've been seeing chips under the skin and all that. Fine, fine if people think that. <clears throat> you know, it's in your head. I don't know whether they put it in your head or something. That may be, but I'm not so sure that it isn't that you receive the mind of the beast and the practice of the beast. That you have to think like he wants you to think and you have to live like he wants you to live to function in this global economy. And if it's a literal chip, bottom line is it don't matter. You're going to take it or you're not going to take it. Or you're going to be in trouble and you take it. Now, that, this is my humble opinion again. I'm going to throw this out here. I see this coming right now. Let me give you an example. You may think I'm nuts. I think it is a foreshadowing of the mark of the beast. When a company like Chick-fil-A has biblical godly standards and says, we will not bow to the cultural God of this world. And then all of a sudden there's a great movement to punish them financially and boycott them so that you can't buy or sell there. I think that's a precursor of the mark of the beast. That if you don't bow down to this idol, we're going to punish you financially. That's exactly what the mark of the beast will be. And everybody's going to have to receive it. Uh, and it's, it's going to be that you've signed on and that you've pledged your allegiance to them. But that's the mark of the beast. Now, also, I, I, somebody said, I wish you wouldn't, don't say the word whore no more. Come up with something better than that. Well, okay, the, the Bible, if you got the King James Version, it calls her the great whore. If you got a new King James, we're sanitizing everything these days. For us. Does anybody old enough remember the old Baptist hymnal, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a... I'm sorry, go back to the old one, Worm. Originally, it was written that saved a worm like me. In 1957, we upgraded it to a wretch. I'm sure somebody's coming out with a new version that saved a wonderful person like me. We're, just, we're going to keep going up. But the old King James calls her a whore. The new King James calls her a harlot. Six in one and a half dozen in the other. But one of the great players in the tribulation period is the great harlot. She is nasty. And I want you to see her. It's in Revelation chapter 17. Just turn the page there probably. Revelation 17, the great harlot. All these players work in league with one another to serve Satan's purpose in the earth. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls talked with me saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with who the kings of the earth committed fornication. The inhabitants of the earth were drunk with the wine of her fornication. He carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast who was full of blasphemes, having seven heads and 10 horns. You've seen that beast before. That's the Antichrist. That's the one you saw rise out of the sea. <clears throat> what does it mean she's sitting on him? They are in league together. She's using him and he's using her. And uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you who it is. It is the church. This great harlot is the church of this day. 
Now, the false prophet is the head of the church. But this great whore in Revelation, great harlot, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'll work on that. Anyway, let's read about her. Verse four, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. She presents herself as royalty, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She is very wealthy. It'll be a wealthy church in that day because of her allegiance to the beast. Having in her hand a golden cup full of the filth, abomination and filthiness of her fornication, on her forehead a name is written, Mystery. Here's the mystery of this woman. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Would you name your daughter that? I mean, that's a nasty name for a woman, isn't it? You just know this about her. She's bad. Verse six, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazements. So it is the, it is the one world global church aligned with this antichrist who murders the people, the true worshipers of God. All right, speculation today, I, a lot of scholars would agree that this could be the Muslim religion. I think it's an amalgamation of all religions. But what you're, who are you seeing murdered today? More Christians were killed last year than any year in world history. Who have they been put to death by? Not the governments. Radical religious extremists. And th this woman, this, this whore, who is the false church, is going to be drunk on the blood of the saints. In other words, she's going to murder the true people of God, as you're seeing this in the earth right now coming about. But the uh, problem with her is, uh, to, to save time, she will be used by the Antichrist, but when he has used her up to gain his purposes, he's going to turn against her and destroy her. I want you to look with me in verse 15. And then he said, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Listen, anytime you see waters in uh, apocalyptic literature, you're talking about the masses of the people in the earth. And so she's going to cover the world. Many people will be given to her. The ten horns which you saw on the beast will hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, burn her with fire. So what's going to happen? After he uses her in the earth to gain his position, what's he going to do? He's going to turn on her and destroy her. Why would the Antichrist destroy the great whore that got him where she needed to be, that he committed fornication with? Well, look in verse 9, 17. God put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose. Who is still running the whole show? He's still running the whole show here. And so the great harlot, and of course, let me give you another world player as you're going to see in chapter 18, is called Babylon. Babylon in the Bible doesn't mean the literal city of Babylon of, of ancient days. There are two Babylons in the book of Revelation. One is commercial Babylon, one's religious Babylon, and it simply means the, the, the commercial, uh, the industry of the earth at that time. And of course, chapter 18 is where the, the, all of the commerce of the world collapses in a day. Uh, and the Antichrist rebuilds the uh, financial structure of the globe. Everybody's thrilled about it. And then all of a sudden God judges it and commercial Babylon collapses in a day and burns. And, and the whole economy of the world just dissipates. Boom, just gone, just like that. And of course, <clears throat> um, religious Babylon is another name for the harlot, the church, religious Babylon in that day. So things are getting darker and darker on the earth and uh, it looks sort of nasty out there. And all these judgments come through. Again, I'm, we're not going to take time to read the judgments. Fire falls, uh, disease, pestilence, uh, 
uh, in one place, the pit opens and demonic spirits come out of the holding place of hell so thick that it looks like locusts covering and they sting men. And, and listen to me tell you how bad it is in the book of Revelation. It says this, men will beg to die and God will not let them. I miss that bad. And so that's a terrible place to be. And then of course it all culminates with, uh, everything just goes crazy in the earth. It all culminates uh, with the great battle of Armageddon in chapter 19. And uh, this, is at, this is at the end of this, this tribulation period, just hell on earth, just awful. And at the end of this great tribulation period, there's a great battle going to take place called the Battle of Armageddon. It'll take place in the Megiddo Valley, which is in Israel. Let me tell you something. Israel is the focal point of world history. History will culminate in Israel. And uh, one day Jesus will rule from Israel. But this great battle takes place in the Megiddo Valley there in Israel, which is under dispute right now. Have you ever wondered why so much grief over Israel? Especially over that place called the Dome of the Rock. Uh, listen, there's just a war over that place. It's a spiritual war. And when the Bible talks about the strife in the Middle East, the answer's in, not in the book of Genesis, it's in the book of Galatians. As he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now. And the religions born of Abraham's flesh despise the religions born of God's spirit through Abraham. So it is now. And history will culminate right there in Israel. But this great battle of Armageddon, I, I love this. This is, uh, all this is going on. Me and you are in the grandstands. We're not watching. We're with Jesus. And chapter 19 is where we hear the promise, be glad and rejoice. Right, verse, verse seven, chapter 19, verse seven. After all the judgment, her smoke rises forever and ever. Verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice. Revelation 19, seven. Give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. To her it was granted to be dressed in fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So it's time for the marriage. Verse 11, I saw heaven opened, which means what? Jesus is now revealed. This is the second coming of Jesus. He is now revealed. Heaven is open. And behold, a white horse. Anytime you see, who sits on a white horse? The conqueror. That's why the Antichrist sat on a white horse. Anytime you see somebody riding a white horse in the Bible, it's a conqueror. He who sat on him is called faithful and true and righteousness. He judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name no one knew except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed, clothed with a robe dipped in blood, which is indicative of what? The cross, the sacrifice of Jesus. And the cross will always be his identifying mark. And his name is the word of God. Verse 14, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who's that? We can read back in, in verse seven and eight, that's you and me. That's the saints. We're with Jesus. And all of a sudden the revelation of Jesus comes to earth. And uh, verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly, coming together together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, mighty men, yada, yada. <clears throat> Revelation 19, 19, here, here it is. I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So we got it lined up now, don't we? You got the Antichrist and all the forces of the globe lined up against Jesus Christ. Here they are. <clears throat> Verse, the Bible said this. Verse 20, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who works signs and wonders 
by which he deceives those who receive the mark of the beast, who worship the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The rest were killed with the swords who proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Wasn't much of a battle, was it? I mean, all this world history culminates with this grace battle. Jesus speaks one word. It's over. Done. That's it. The power of the Lamb is on display. The power of his Christ has come here, and that's it. That's the whole deal right there. And uh, it didn't take long to wrap that one up. This ain't going to be no five-year, eight-year, 12-year war. It'll be a one-word war. And Jesus, you ever remember an old song, <clears throat> Mighty Fortress is Our God? You remember when there was a verse that said, one little word will fail them? That's where it came from. came out of that verse right there. He'll speak one word, it'll all be over. Destruction to every force on this earth except him. And that's, that's known as the great battle of Armageddon, if you've ever heard it. And then the Bible talks... This is just wild to me. I, I don't understand this. I've heard some theory on it. I've heard some scholars on it. At that period, Satan is going to be bound. And we're, the saints are going to enjoy a 1,000-year reign with Christ. Could you imagine a, a, this earth, this earth, f totally free from the influence of Satan? That's what it means. He'll be bound. And we'll get to live a 1,000 years. Let's just read it. Verse 20, I saw an angel, verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit. I love these words, shut him up. He needs to shut up today. Set a seal on him so that he should not do what? Isn't it funny how Satan never overpowers the nation? He's always described as deceiving the nations. He wouldn't deceive the nations anymore till the thousand years were finished. So I just want to point out something here. All of Satan and all of his power were bound by what? How many angels? One. One angel wrapped him up, threw him down into hell. So Satan's influence is completely gone from the earth right now. And there's a 1,000 year reign with Christ I saw thrones and they sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded, so forth and so on. Verse five, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And I just don't understand this, but in this passage, chapter 20, Satan is bound. We reign for a thousand years with Christ. And then all of a sudden he gets out. He's released one more time. I've heard many theories on it. But I hadn't heard anything to convince me, so I'll just say what it says. It says, so be it. I just want to make sure it all wraps up right. Verse 7, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And who's in charge here? And you, you, listen, our God reigns. I don't care what you see. If you don't get anything outside this book, there is a throne and it has got somebody sitting on it. He can't do anything he's not allowed to do. The darkness can't. Verse 8, will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What's the beloved city? Jerusalem. And so they gather around. Listen, Jerusalem is going to be the final flashpoint of world history. Uh, here. You'd think they would have learned in the last battle, wouldn't you? Here we go. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Another real short war, wasn't it? 
The devil, watch, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Revelation 20, 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's over. His day is done. His torment is over on the earth. His, he's finished. Hell was not built for people. Jesus Christ said in the book of Matthew, it was built for Satan and his angels. Why would anybody want to go there? But this is where the final he's done right here. It's all over. He's cast into hell. Have you ever heard this? Uh, I've heard one of the verses I heard as a young man many times. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You ever heard that? Many people take that verse and twist it to mean that the day of your death is appointed. Not according to scripture. Uh, you can die before God wanted you to. You, they said many saints have died before their time because they didn't discern the body correctly. And uh, it doesn't mean that the day is appointed for you to die. It means you are appointed to die one time and then you're going to be judged. And the judgment. And then here's that judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne, which is the great white throne judgment. Him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. What does it mean small and dead? Does that mean short people? Truck drivers, bus drivers, farm workers, migrant workers. Who are the great? Presidents, kings, athletes, entertainers, everybody is going to stand before him at this judgment. And the Bible said they'll stand before God and books were opened. What's, what's this deal with the books? Y'all didn't know there were books? How many know there are books? And there must be something written in them books about me and you. And books were opened, <laughs> which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. You mean somebody is keeping a record? Is this the book of Revelation? Here's a revelation. Somebody's keeping a record of what goes on. They say, well, they're getting away with that. You listen to me. Nobody on this planet is ever going to get away with anything. Right there it is. It's being recorded. Everybody will give an account for everything. O.J. Simpson's going to get a fair trial. <laughs> me and you are too. Nobody is going to get away with anything on this planet because these books are going to be open and the books are accurate. All right, verse 13. Then the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell, Hades, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. People have asked, well, if you're buried at sea, how can you come back? Right there it is. That, listen, he who created the heavens and the earth has no trouble doing anything. I've heard people say, well, I don't think it's right to be cremated because then you can't. He has no trouble pulling you back from what he puts you out of. Everything's going to come before him. Every human being will stand before him right here. It's called the great white throne judgment. And they'll be judged according to their works. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Here's the great verse. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So people say, you don't, I don't believe that stuff. You can believe what you want to, but if you throw any part of this book away, go ahead and throw the whole thing away. If you can't trust, the issue is not whether you should judge God or not as to whether he's just. The issue is nobody has to go. God so loved the world, he gave his son that whosoever, 2 Timothy 1, God desires all to be saved. 
Now we got a bunch of people wanting to judge God as to whether he's fair or not. You need to quit judging God and run to Jesus and find salvation in the name of Christ. My goodness, we've become an arrogant bunch in this land today. That, that's it right there. And that's the wrap up of world history, the eternity on that side. And that's the great judgment. I'm going to take just a minute. I don't want to leave you on this note because has this been fun tonight or what? <laughs> this is not fun at all. But I want to tell you something. Every believer needs to have a working knowledge of the book of Revelation. And you need to ask yourself, is this stuff true? Could this happen? I'm going to say it again. If you throw anything in there away, you've got to throw the whole thing away. If you throw Revelation away, you've got to throw the cross away. If you, if you either take the whole book or you take nothing. This is not the K&W Bible. You don't get to pick parts of it. I don't like it, but it's in there. And uh, I want to just wrap up with something really great. What, what, in the, what in the world is going on? All this was culmination of world history. But let me talk to you about the Father's heart for a minute. Do you think God created this planet to be in the shape it's in right now? Do you think he created marriage so we could fight with each other? You think he created people so we could war with each other? A thousand times. No, this was not his plan. You say, why did he let it happen? You cannot have people to love you unless you give them a choice. You cannot be loved unless you give somebody a choice. And what you see on this earth right now is the culmination of giving people a choice to either love God and walk with God or reject him and follow Satan. But his great plan overall was to do what? Bring it all back to the original. I want to show you a great verse in the Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 33 concerning the heart of God. The heart of God. I, I'll never, the more I get to know him, the more stunned I am at his majesty and goodness and the less I understand him. I don't know if you saw today's devotion or not, but it said this. He can be adored, he can be worshipped, he can be loved, but he can never be figured out. If you can figure God out, you need a new God. If he'll fit between your ears, go get you something bigger than that. My goodness, that's not very big. Psalm 33 is one of the great promises. Of, it's about the heart of God in this whole matter. Psalm 33, I hope this don't offend you if you're a nationalist. Psalm 33:10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. Goodbye. Politicians right now are telling us about their plans. What does the Bible say about their plans? God will make them come to nothing. There is, there is salvation in no other name. And, and he is going to confound all human plans. Because, you know, how many of you know when the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, you're not going to have the age of salvation. It's not going to happen. The age of nirvana is only Jesus will bring peace back to this planet. And all of our, thank God for the people who are trying to bring peace and prosperity but the plans of the nations will not work. Let me tell you what's going to last forever. Read the next verse. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Does that verse tell me that there are some plans in the heart of God? Will they ultimately stand? How long? All generations. Do you want to find out what God, what's in God's heart? We won't do it. You have to go to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 where he creates a beautiful earth, puts people in it that love each other. They walk with him. They love each other. They're fruitful. That's the plan of his heart. For how long? 
to all generations. At the end of Revelation, we'll look at this next week, he brings it right back to where it started, right back to the original plan. Let me show you one more verse and then we're done. Acts chapter three is where he promises this for you and me. And Acts chapter three is where he promises, it's called the restoration of all things. You know what restore means, don't you? Bring it back to what it was at one time. We're moving toward the, so it looks to me like the Bible says we're moving toward hell on earth and judgment. No, that's not the end. The end is the restoration of all things. It's when he brings everything back to his original plan. I love this passage. I love what you, I know I say I love them all, but I really love this one. What, a, what and th this is a promise for every person right now. Acts chapter three, verse 19. Repent, I, I like that word too. Be converted that your sins might be blotted out. What can wash away my sins? The precious blood of Jesus. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. All right, here's the verse. Whom heaven must receive. Has heaven received Jesus? When did heaven receive Jesus? He died on a cross. He was resurrected. He appeared to the disciples. And then what did the Bible say happened? He went up into heaven. Heaven received him. How long is he going to be there? Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Jesus is in heaven right now. But the Bible said Jesus is going to return. He's coming back. And what will that be called? It will be the restoration of all things. The planet will be restored. We'll have a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Relationships will be restored. Health will be restored. Joy, we'll see it next week. Joy will be restored. But it's the restoration. It's when God brings everything back to original purpose. In other words, we're going back to the garden. Now, I've had, let me tell you how, this is so hard for the natural mind to comprehend, but you can believe God's word. I've had young people, I love teenagers. I've had young teenagers say to me, uh, if Jesus comes back real quick, I'll miss the opportunity to have a family and have a career and all that. And I just say to him, if what he does when he comes back is not better than what you were going to get, he'll give you your money back, son. Don't worry about it. It's, <laughs> Jesus is not coming back for a downgrade. He's going to bring the restoration of all things. I am so blessed. God's been so good. I was such a devil. I should have gone to hell or jail. Or, and God's been good. I've been blessed financially. I got great health for somebody as old as I am and dumb as I am. I've got the greatest wife in the world. I got a great church. I live in a great place. I live in a great nation. Nobody believes it anymore. I got this great life going on. And it's good, but all right, let me show you the restoration of all things. They live in this beautiful garden, undefiled by anything human. The man and his wife run around naked all the time. There is no enmity. There's no hogwash. There's no faking it. They're not ashamed. There is no shame in the earth. There are no tears because he wipes away every tear from their eyes. There's no pain, physical pain. Most of the pain in the earth right now is not physical. It's heart pain. There's no pain. They don't have to work. They manage the earth. They are fruitful. I got a good life, but that's an upgrade any way you cut it. So I'm going to leave my watermelon shirt here to whoever wants it because I ain't going to need it where I'm going. It is an upgrade. 
Uh, here's the deal. You say, well, what's all this judgment and stuff? Here's world history, world history. Everybody gets a chance. Who do you want to go with? Do you want to, you want to go with the son of God for eternity? Or do you want to go to hell with the man of sin? That's world history. All of history culminates in the end. Who are you going to choose? And that's all it boils down to. You say, you, you are so overly simplistic. Praise God. Thank you. What's the whole message you get out of the book of Revelation? Are you saved? What else matters? What would it, I, I thought up this saying. After reading the book of Revelation, I thought up this saying. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but lost his own soul? What do you got? And let me, let me say this to you. I don't care if you live in a pup tent, eat pork and beans every meal, and have to pump a bicycle everywhere you go. You may feel like you don't have much, but if that's how you live your three seconds on this planet, and then you get to go to the restoration of all things, lift up your head and rejoice because your redemption draweth nigh. Yeah, listen, blessed are the eyes that have seen the things you've seen. You're looking at the world's most blessed man. If I know that Jesus is the son of God and I have bowed and trusted him in faith, what else do you want? I can live with the arthritis. I ain't got it, but I can live with it. I can live with the aggravation of this crazy planet knowing this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And then I read the book of Revelation and I just say, let's get the hell out of here. I ain't going. Makes me sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch. I mean, 50 years would be great. What about when we've been there 10,000 years? You say, this is Star Wars stuff. This is straight out of the Bible. And I'm going to say it one more time. I'm done. You know what that means? I'm going to say I'm done. That's number two. You either got to take all the book or throw it all away. There's the, the Bible is under attack like never before today. And it is not, it is not intellectualism. It is demonic. And Satan is pouring his wrath out on because he knows God sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. The world rises and falls on this book right here. And what, I don't care whatever you do, you make up your mind. You put a question mark over this book, you gone. I'm sticking with the book. And uh, okay, I'm going to tell you my story one more time. That's the three, four, 12. I've got to go because ice cream shop's going to close in a minute and I'll miss it. This is so simple. We have scholars fall all over this thing. Why? I don't understand everything in the book of Revelation, but I got enough out there to know you better get saved. I've had people ask me, do you think those beings that fire comes out of their tail, you think they're Apache helicopters? I don't give a rip. I, I don't, who cares? All I got out of there was, I ain't going to be in the mess. I'm running to the cross. You know, just get the big picture. I'll tell you this story. Uh, Dr. Barnhart, one of the great preachers, Philadelphia, uh, started evangelism explosion. He said a smart aleck. You know what a smart aleck, smart aleck is, don't you? He was a college professor. Said he went into the old-fashioned shoe shop years ago. When I was a boy, you went in a shoe shop and you had to, I'm, I'm sorry, barber shop. You went to barber shop and you had a guy shining shoes in there. Remember that? We used to have one in Graham right here. And they'd shine your shoes, you'd get your hair cut. And they, he was called a boot black, the man who blacked your boots. And he was called a shoe shine boy, boot black. 
And he said, he went in there one day and the man who shined shoes, he was sitting there, nobody was in his chair. He had a, had a podium up here, had a chair on it, had a pedestal, you put your shoe up or your foot up there. And he was sitting there, he was sitting beside, he was reading the Bible. And uh, this college professor sat down, he said, you reading the Bible? So he said, yes, sir. He said, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. He said, do you understand it? He said, yes, sir. We all just hacks a scholar off when you think you know something. And he said to him, he said, scholars have debated over the ages and can't agree on the book of Revelation. And you think you've got it figured out? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, tell me about it. He just smiled and said, Jesus wins. <laughs> I've read numerous commentaries on Revelation. That's the greatest I've ever heard. And as grandpa used to say, son, it's too late for in the beginning. Get to the back of the book and read the last page. Jesus wins. That's just the bottom line. Do you see why we sing now? Do you see why we sing in crazy days now? This stuff is temporary. This stuff is eternal. Lord Jesus, I just can't, I can't wait. I just can't wait. Your word promises that we see you dimly through a frosted glass, through a distorted mirror now, but one day face to face. What a day that will be. We just can't wait. Lord Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room. I pray the book of Revelation hit them like a freight train, that they know this is true. If they're not saved, they get saved. Who would want to face this apart from Jesus? But I pray that in the craziness of the days we're living in, that you prophesied, you were so clear that we would know these things were coming, that as we look at the news, listen to the people, watch the things in our community, a little aggravated by things, a little discouraged by things. As your word said, when we th see these things begin to happen, we would lift up our eyes to the truth of God's word and know it was all supposed to be like this. He told me it was coming and my redemption draweth nigh. Whether you're coming back tomorrow, two days from now, two months from now, years from now, I don't know. I just want to know that my seat is reserved. And I got a ticket on that train headed to glory. Praise God. And thank you that it's free. Thank you that Jesus paid the fare for anybody. Preacher, prostitute, crook, it don't matter. It don't matter. Thank you that heaven's gates are open wide. We've seen tonight where one day, just as surely as you closed the door on Noah's Ark and said the opportunity's over. There's going to come a day you're going to close the door on this earth and opportunity is going to be over. But thank you that heaven's gates are open wide right now. God's arms are open wide and whosoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. I just pray for everybody in this room right now, everybody listening. Dear Jesus, hit their hearts right now. Friend, if you're sitting in this room and you're listening to me and you've never bowed before Jesus and said, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, why not? What are you waiting on? Do it right now. Seated there where you're at. Pray this from humble your heart before him. Jesus is waiting to save you right now, but you've got to ask him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You died on a cross to save me from my sins, but you rose from the grave because you're mighty. And I am a sinner and I confess it and I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart right now. Open my heart wide open to you, Jesus. I accept you today as my Savior, 
my Lord and the love of my life forever. I want my name written in that book that we read about in the Bible. And I want my name in the book of life. And I believe you're writing it in there right now. I give you the praise and glory. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to obey you. You're the Lord of my life. I love you. I give you thanksgiving and praise. I'll worship you forever. The strong name of Jesus, I pray. If you prayed that, raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put them up real high. Thank you. Put those down all over. Praise God for his goodness. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you. Help us to get the train loaded up so that this train is bound for glory. Soon and very soon, we will see you face to face. May Jesus be glorified. I pray that tonight your words will be remembered by people in the days to come. I trust you for that. Jesus is exalted in his precious name we pray. Amen.